All right, well, welcome everyone. It's good to see you all here uh, joining us today this morning. Um, maybe before we start, if you would like to join me in prayer, and then we'll get stuck into it. Father God, we thank you for this time. Uh, we thank you that we can come to you and we can worship you. Uh, we thank you that we can open up your word and we can see what it says for us to know more about who you are and how we are supposed to live our lives. So Lord, uh, be with us today and this morning, and uh, may the words that I say uh, only be ones from your Holy Spirit. So we pray all these things in your name. Amen. In 1993, a Trinidadian slash German singer named Hadaway debuts his brand new single, Sweeping Europe Off Its Feet. It becomes a one-hit wonder. It makes number 12 on the charts in Australia, and it even wins the best national single and best national dance single in Germany. It's a song that's been sampled many times over the years, remixed, but it always comes with the most iconic lines of, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. How many of you know this song when I say those lyrics? Mm, all right, about half the room. Yep, yep. If you don't, then you have some homework to do. Um, it's an iconic song, like I said. It's a fantastic song. One review of the song actually said, Hadaway pours such delicacy and anguish into the short phrases, they become loud whispers that stay in the ear. With perfectly lubricated synthesizers bouncing away behind him, Hadaway gets precious mileage out of minimal lyrics. What is love? Three words, but they're three words that stick in our mind. It's a question that no doubt each one of us has asked ourselves, maybe asked others, Maybe I've spent hours, days, or weeks pondering over this question. What is love? Psychologists and academics have probably attempted to define it, and they'll say things like, it's a set of emotions and behaviors characterized by intimacy, passion, and commitment. Romantics will say, you can't put words around it. Love is a feeling that you simply can't describe. Neuroscientists might say it's, it's just a certain way that the chemicals in your brain change or respond. Those who have set, spent many seasoned years in marriage might say, love is when your partner puts the toilet seat down or up without asking. Yesterday, some of us went to a wedding of uh, a couple of people who are um, members of our church, where love was even expressed as being able to stack the plates at the perfect acute angle for maximum dryability. That's what love is. What is love? Last week, Pastor Kent said that everyone is looking for something real in life. People look for reality in the midst of a world that's full of fakes. And I want to extend that a little bit further because I want to say that when it comes to love, everyone also wants and searches for real love. 
Not just an airy-fairy, lovey-dovey kind of love, but a love that extends deep into our soul. A love that transcends words. A love that goes deeper than simply, I'll do something for you. A genuine love. So today we're going to continue on with our series that's based on our vision statement. Does anyone know what the vision statement is? Lynn had just said it about five minutes ago, and maybe James can put it on the screen behind me. Very good. Living a transformed life with a genuine love for Jesus and his people. If this is going to be our vision statement for the year for our church, it pays to actually understand what it means. And so when it says in the middle, when it says a genuine love, when our leadership team came up with this vision, they were very intentional in choosing these words. Imagine if our vision statement said, living a transformed life with just a surface level love for Jesus and his people. Or what if it said, living a transformed life with a shallow love for Jesus and his people. It's just not the same. You wouldn't really want to follow that but a genuine love, that sounds real, something that we want to achieve, something that we want our church to have. And so how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we have a genuine love for Jesus and his people if we don't know what a genuine love is? We're gonna explore this idea of a genuine love this morning because without knowing what genuine love is, we won't be able to fulfill this vision. Last week, Pastor Kent shared with us how important the Bible is, the Word of God. And so if we're going to look for what genuine love is, we're going to start in there. Alex read to us this morning from 1 John chapter 5, but I'm actually going to go um, a couple of verses previous to that. So if you have your Bibles out there, um, then I'll get you guys to turn to 1 John, but not chapter 5. We're going to go back and go to chapter 4. And I wanted to read to you a couple of verses in there. The first one is 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. It's very short, but it says, We love because He first loved us. We love because He, that is God, first loved us. And then if we... Go back a few more verses. We're kind of reading everything backwards today. If you go all the way back up to verse 8 of chapter 4, it says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So the writer of this letter, of this letter of 1 John, he says that God is the one that loves us. God is the one who showed love to us. And in fact, God is love. And so what we find is that as we read the Bible and as we learn more and more about who God is, the more and more of a better understanding of love is what we get. Now, there are a lot of pages in the Bible that talk about who God is and talk about what his love is, but I want to focus on one thing that John writes And it's in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 4. It says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world 
that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now in these two verses, what we see is a beautiful exchange of things happening. It says that God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we might live. Now what does this mean? Well, God, as the creator of the universe, as the creator of all things, including us, he created humans perfect. The beginning of the Bible tells us this as you read the very first chapter of the whole Bible. God created us exactly how he designed. But then the first humans that he created, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They disobeyed God's commands and therefore they sinned. And when they did this, they became imperfect. And so, when anything is less than perfect, it needs to be separated from God. Anything that is imperfect will suffer the same fate that all things in this world today suffer, death and decay. Now God, as described in the Bible, he is perfect, he is eternal, but anything apart from God is imperfect. When Adam and Eve rebelled, when they sinned against God, they became imperfect, and in doing so, all things after them became imperfect too. And this includes me and you. You can read more about this in Genesis chapter three, but we won't go through that this morning. But at that point, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, when they became imperfect, God had a choice. He looked at Adam and Eve and he could have said, well, you know what, that was kind of a failed experiment. Let me just wipe them away. Let me just pull them aside and let's, let's restart. Let's start again. But instead, he didn't. Because God is love, because he loves us, he formulated a plan. He was determined to rescue Adam and Eve instead of simply pressing the reset button. God loves the people he creates far more than to just press start again. However, the issue is that to reverse this imperfection in people, it requires an exchange. And in the book of Deuteronomy, God talks about this. In order for something imperfect to become perfect again, something must be given in exchange. Something perfect had to be given up so that the imperfect can become perfect again. And God illustrates this by introducing this thing called the sacrificial system. Because whenever God's people rebelled against him, whenever they sinned against God and disobeyed, what his people would need to do would be that they would need to kill something. Kill something that represented perfection or innocence. In those times, it represented, and it would have been a lamb, an animal, something that represented that perfection. And when that something died, then those people who were imperfect could then be perfect again. There's an exchange, something perfect for something imperfect. 
But this sacrificial system was temporary, and we find that God loves his people far more than just a band-aid solution of having to kill and sacrifice animals. God wasn't going to simply settle for his people to forever be killing animals. And so eventually, God put in his place his ultimate plan, and that's what we read about in 1 John, that God offered up his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die, to give him up so that we can live. Why did he do that? It's not because God is a sadistic God. It's not because he was trying to disown his son and he didn't want Jesus anymore. But it's actually because Jesus is the only one who could do what he did. Jesus Christ is special. He's not just any human being. When we read about who Jesus is in the Bible, we learn that Jesus is both fully human, but he is also the Son of God. It's actually what Alex read to us this morning. In verses in chapter 5, it actually says, everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. And then even in verse 5, it says, only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So Jesus is special, and as we read of Jesus' life in scriptures, we suddenly realize that even though all of us are imperfect, Jesus is perfect. And so each one of us, when we are imperfect, we rebel against God, we all sin, we all disobey God, and we turn away from him, but Jesus didn't. And so when Jesus dies, he doesn't actually get bound by what we do. He doesn't get bound by death and decay. And when he died, when he gave up his life, that was the perfect exchange for the imperfect. And in doing so, he atoned. He became what we call an atoning sacrifice. God, in his love, gave his perfect son up for death so that our imperfect souls could be saved. He did it so that we can live life. This is the love that God shows us. God wants us to live a full and fulfilling life. He doesn't want us to be trapped and held back by sin. And so as we ponder God's actions and his heart through the story of the Bible, we get a picture of what love is. We see that God's perfect love is a love that doesn't give up, even though imperfect people sin. God's perfect love is a love that remains faithful, even though we rebel against God, God's love chases after us. And God's perfect love is a love that is sacrificial. You know, often when we look around us, the examples of love that we see aren't always great. Our colleagues at work will love us and befriend us whilst we're on the same team, but then when circumstances change, they kind of disappear. Our friends from school or from uni, they love us until we make a mistake, and then that love is over. Even our own family may love us, but then there may be tough times where they can't necessarily fulfill what we would like. They may not be available for us when we need. They might have their own things to deal with and might leave us stranded. But God's love is perfect. 
Our perfect God displays perfect love because he is the definition of love. And so even if we've heard about what God's love is, the next thing is that we need to experience it. Because hearing God's love is different to experiencing God's love. Recently, Rach and I, we went on a three-week holiday. We went on a road trip, and we drove our car all the way to Western Australia. It was a really long drive, um, but we got to see lots and lots of really cool things. And as we were doing our research for our trip, we were like, oh, you know, what are some things that we want to do along the way? And one of these things that we found was to climb up a tree. And you might think, oh, there's plenty of trees in Adelaide that you can climb. But this is a really special tree. This tree is a really tall one. It actually stretches up about 75 meters, and you can climb this tree. I mean, you can't quite climb to the very top, but there's still, a f there's still about 60 meters that you can get up this tree. For anyone who has ever done the Adelaide Oval Climb, to get to the top of the Adelaide Oval Climb, that's about 50 meters. But this one goes up even higher than that. And so you think that something like this, you would get there and you have to pay an entrance fee and they'll harness you up and then there's an instructor, they'll hook you all up, there'll be safety nets and you know, everything's gonna be safe as you go up. But when you get there, you look at it and you look around and you go, oh, there's a really tall tree here. And then you look around a bit more and there's, there's no one there. There's no gate, there's no safety harnesses, there's no people around, but you can climb this tree and you can climb all the way to the top. Now, I've got a couple of photos that James might be able to put up there, and I might just turn off this light so you can see it a little bit better. Maybe the very first one. Um, so that's the tree right in the middle, and if you can see those tiny little dots down the bottom, that's Rach and her brother. And you can kind of see a little spiral. It looks like a staircase going up to the top. And then the next picture, it kind of zooms in a bit. And then once you get to the tree, it's like, oh, it's not actually stairs. And it's not anything that you can harness on. People have just hammered in metal pegs that are about this long. They're just stuck into the side of the tree. And it just spirals and spirals and spirals all the way up. If you go to the next photo, this is me kind of halfway up the tree. And you can kind of see each one of these pegs that are just stuck into the tree. And you just climb them. Uh, the next photo, that's Rach, um, me looking down above her. And you can kind of see that these pegs, there's really no safety involved at all. I mean, I think I'm at about 10 meters above the ground. And so Rach is probably about six or seven meters. And I don't know if you can see, but her knuckles are really white at this stage because you really, there's nothing. And as I was climbing up, um, one of the things that you do is you, well, anyone who's done safety before, when you climb a ladder, you, have, you need three points of contact at all times. So you've got one hand on a rung, one hand on a rung, and two feet on a rung, and then you take one hand off and you grab the next one, and you put one foot up, and then you push. And as you go up, it's like one peg, the second one, the third one, the fourth one. And by the time you get to like peg 100, you know, everything starts to go dizzy because at some stage you look down, you're like, holy moly, I'm 30 meters off the ground. And, and at one stage, I was just going and you get into a rhythm, but then I missed. And I missed and you sort of fall forward and, and the next thing you know, you're like, 
I'm, I'm dying. <laughs> this could be it. This could be it. And so when I tell you all this, you might be able to imagine what it feels like. You might be able to imagine the fear that is in me, but you don't quite experience it until you're there. You know, before we got to this tree, um, Rachel's brother Sam had already done it. They, they did it a couple of weeks before us. And they were describing it to us, and they're like, it's so fun. And I was like, oh, yeah, it sounds really good. But once you get up there, it's something different, completely different at all. You haven't experienced it until you're actually on the tree. And I think this is the same when we talk about God's love. Because when you hear about it, I can tell you about it. You can read about it, but it's not the same as experiencing it. We can come to church, we can listen to sermons, we can read the Bible, go to, go to podcasts, go to Bible studies, follow all the right Instagram posts about God's love. But these can still just be a simply arm's length interaction with God's love. Experiencing God's love is so much more than just simply knowing about it. It's so much more than just simply reciting all the Bible verses that talk about God's love. What does it mean to experience God's love? Well, I want to talk specifically about God's sacrificial love. How do we experience that? When John says that God gave up his son, how do we experience that love? When Jesus died on the cross, when that exchange took place, something perfect for something imperfect that exchange was offered as a gift. It was offered as a gift that we must accept. And what Alex read to us this morning, the first few words that he said was, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, or is Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And in verse 5 it says, who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so to experience God's love is so closely tied with this idea of believe or to have faith. To believe, to experience God's love requires us not to just have a knowledge at arm's length. To believe in Jesus is to put our trust and our faith in him. You know, as I was climbing that tree, one of the hardest things to do was to trust the pegs that were sticking out of the tree. Those, tr those pegs were hammered into the tree in 1988. So if you do the maths, I don't know, that's what, 40, nearly 40 years maybe? Yep. Nearly 40 years since they hammered in those pegs, and there's no one around to catch you. There's no one around to tell you that these pegs were checked yesterday. We had no idea. How on earth do I know that this next peg is going to hold me up when I'm 50 meters above the ground? I've seen the photos. I read the news articles that said no one has ever died climbing this tree. Only two people have had heart attacks after they got back down to the ground, but no one's died before. But still, it's a step of faith for me to grab the next rung and pull my weight onto it, 
to trust that those rungs would hold me. Faith or to believe in Jesus Christ is to go out on a limb and to trust that what he did actually happened. To trust that when Jesus died on the cross, the exchange actually happened. To trust that even though we don't deserve to be loved by God because we rebelled against him, to trust that even though this seems so nonsensical that God would give up his son, it's to trust that it actually happened. To trust that because of that, God does love us like his children. This is what faith is. But it is hard to take that step of faith. It's hard because it requires us to be vulnerable. Just like for me to to let go of this rung and to grab the next one, it's really hard. And I find that maybe in this room alone, or wherever you're listening to this, each one of us might be in different places when we think about faith. Some of us might be in a place where we feel like we don't necessarily need this exchange. Why do I need God's love when I feel like I've got everything already? I already have a great community. I have a loving family. I've got friends. Why do I need God? If this is you, I encourage you to keep exploring, to take the time to read what God's love is. Because the more we read God's scriptures, the more we understand and grasp the need for God's love. The more we will realize that there is a God-shaped hole in our life that our community, our friends, our families, our careers, it won't feel that. Others of you might be in a place where you know that you need God's love. You know, last week, Pastor Kent talked about the idea of feeling lonely, and perhaps you are feeling in that space where you feel not loved, where you don't have that community, or you're in a life circumstance that puts you in a spot where you feel you need love. This too is a very hard space to be in because as humans, we don't like to admit that we're lonely. We don't want to show vulnerability and yet when we are there, it is the most terrible feeling to feel. You might even have people around you and yet still feel like something's missing. But to experience God's love is to step out in faith. It's scary but it is to step out, to say to Jesus that I know I can't find what I desire in this world, but I can find it in your love, God. Others of you might be in a place where you do feel like I want love, but I don't deserve God's love. You hear and you read about God's love and you say, man, that that can't be me. Why would God love me? You hear that God's love is faithful. You hear that God would chase you wherever you go. And you look at your life and you go, man, even I wouldn't want to love myself. Why would God love me? And again, that is a difficult place to be in. But God's love is greater than that. When you take that step, that step of faith, and you say, I'm not good enough, but I trust that what Jesus did is, then that's all. That's what God asks of you. I feel like if we were to picture our life of faith as that tree that that I was climbing, I feel like each one of us might be on a different peg along that tree. Some of us are only just getting high enough, maybe one or two meters off the ground, 
and every peg, it's still kind of a step of faith. You don't know if that peg's going to hold you, but you kind of go, you know what, if this peg doesn't make it, I probably will only just twist my ankle. It's okay. Some of us might have reached the 10-meter level where it's like, well, I mean, if I fall, it'll probably hurt, and I might go to hospital, but, you know, I'll take that next step. Some of us maybe have reached the point where the next peg that they reach out to, that next step of faith, maybe, well, I don't think it's going to support me. I'm going to have to give everything up. I'm going to have to put all of my faith in this next peg. Some of us might be quite far up the tree. Some of us might have already taken those early steps of faith and are now looking for the next thing. No matter where you are, the more you understand God's love for you, the more steps that you take to grasp what God's love for you is, God's genuine love, the more our faith becomes genuine. Because the higher up you go, each step that you grab, you have to put more and more faith into it. The more, faith, the more our faith becomes genuine, the more we experience God's love. And so I want to ask you guys, where are you on your journey of faith? Each peg in the tree represents another marker of knowing and experience God's love. Each step up up this tree represents another step of faith, putting your complete life in the hands of God and in Jesus' beautiful exchange. And in the next few weeks, we're going to see more about what happens when we have that genuine faith in Jesus, when we have a genuine love for Jesus, and when that grows. We will start to see how our obedience to God will grow. We'll start to see how God's love starts to flow out from us. We will see how we love others. We'll see how our perspective on life, on the things of this world, will change. Let me finish today with this. That German singer that I talked about at the very beginning, he asked that question, what is love? The reviews said that he sung those words with delicacy and anguish, asking that question. But we don't need to. Next time you sing those words, when you go out and turn on Spotify as you leave church and listen to that song, you know that you can step out in genuine faith. You know that God's love is here and that you will know what God's love is and that you will experience God's genuine love for you every step of the way. Why don't you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for how you love us. We thank you that as we read the words of your Bible, you show us who you are, you show us what your love is, and you invite us to experience that love. We thank you that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross to make that exchange so that we wouldn't need to be separated from you, but that we can come back to you as perfect. We thank you that at each step of the way, you will grow us in our faith, in our understanding of your love. And I ask that wherever we are, Lord, that you would guide us to seeing where that next step is. Father, we thank you and we pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, Cliff. Um, thank you for the